And just before we get to going, everything that's featured in today's episode, you can find on YouTube. Um, I can put the links in if people want me to. Just send me a message. I can send messages if they want me to. Um, It's just a really phenomenal series that's been put together. And it's worth everybody's time. To almost unanimous expectation of the fall of Ukraine, the Ukrainian army remained a force capable of defending the country. As a result, for the first time in history, the EU announced direct military aid to a foreign country, Ukraine while Germany made a major turn in its foreign policy by sending weapons to Ukraine and stating its intention to dramatically increase its military spending. Fourth of February, Putin announced the start of the special military operation to denazify and demilitarize Ukraine. A military conflict in Ukraine, which started in 2014, turned into a full-scale war with Russia's invasion. According to different estimates, Russia deployed 150,000 to 200,000 troops. On the Russia-Ukraine and Belarus-Ukraine borders, the Kremlin explained it with planned military exercises, brushing aside all concerns, and declaring that they had a right to move their forces wherever they deemed necessary within their borders. But soon the United States started asserting that the massing of Russian troops on the Ukrainian border was a build-up for an impending invasion of Ukraine. The Russian government vehemently denies this, while some NATO states and Ukraine considers the US reports exaggerated. Nevertheless, by December, Russia started making demands. Welcome back. So, for today's episode, I kind of just wanted to take another trip around the globe. Uh, Mostly, you know, the events of going on, you know, obviously. You know, Great Britain's going to get a new Prime Minister very soon. um, Because Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson really supported the Ukrainian people and their culture and their fight, you know, and I've been listening to a lot of different people, and I think Great Britain, like I said, I think I've said this before, Europe has an understanding of why and how important this is, right, and what's going on, so that's a part, you know, kind of what's going on, uh, the Kremlin shut off gas for quote-unquote repairs, to the EU, to Europe, that obviously is not a surprise to anyone, right, we kind of figured that was going to be a part of the winter coming up, right, you know, moving on to Taiwan, right, we think about China, and China 
Communist China always saw Taiwan as a part of the homeland, the mainland. Um, and to- Taiwan doesn't see it like that, right? The- so you have these 20. 20- Russian army officials claimed that the Ukrainian army had withdrawn from Severodonetsk yesterday. Severodonetsk mayor Alexander Street said yesterday, Ukrainian forces are fighting to retake the city. Our soldiers managed to redeploy in the city and establish a line of defense. We are now doing everything necessary to regain full control of the city. on past episodes just gonna say it again history is very interesting because as history is being made like things are moving fast history is made fast right however we have to wait to really understand the grasp of that time and what happened later on right because the study of the history is the study of the past. You know, I would argue that it's the study of the past, present, and future. Um, that's just because of who I am. You know, and I think for a lot of us who were born in America, everything seems foreign, right? Like foreign policy. I think we need to stop seeing that word for what it means, right? Foreign means far away. The word means that. But that's not what it means in conversation when we're talking about the world, people. So here's just a few updates for you about Ukraine. So, the Zeppelinia, sorry, hard, nuclear power plant went offline. Um, and that's supposed by the Russian appointed. So, it went offline. We don't know how. We don't know why. Um, it's just something, again, we, we have to follow these nuclear power plants because we nuclear disaster is, is something we have to be careful of, right? Um, and I think it's important, you know, NATO showed off the forces B-52s. They flew over Stockholm. Um, there's a video out there. Go see it. It's actually 
pretty freaking cool. I think it's cool, but that's because, you know, I am who I am. And um, keep an update, right? Like, keep an idea on that southern front, what's going on in Odessa, always. Mariupol, always. You know, what's happening. Is there a puppet government who is in charge, this and that. And then that eastern front, right? Kherson, that counteroffensive, is something we have to just kind of be patient about, right? Like, very, very patient. Like, we have to be patient. You know, I can't stress that enough. I do think it's important here, right, to mention the fact that Russian state media, television, all that will give you a different perspective, you know, they'll tell you what's going on from their side of the war and how they see it, but I do think if you, you know, you look at that, you look at, you know, like I say, always look at a bundle of sources if you're really into it, if you really care, look at bundle of sources. You know, and you can kind of see right through, you know, the, the words, <laughs> you know, and that's it. You know, even when you listen to me, you know, people, everyone's different. But I think there's a difference between difference of opinion and a false information campaign which has blinded people now in the past you know it, it, it's happened right I mean you think about World War II you think about the Nazi regime it blinded the German people how quickly it came to power go off of that, right, to have some more um, developments that are developing. So the Ukrainian PM calls for even more military support from Germany, right, because we have that issue of Germany and Russia and their historic ties and their historic past. And obviously, oil is on everybody's mind, right? The other thing I think is in Interesting. It might not be important yet, but it's very important to the overall long-term thing, which is U.S. Navy ships take part in Baltic Sea training. I think that's just going to be a key part moving forward. We just gotta, you know, I I don't know how the Kremlin might see it. Obviously, it's training, right? And obviously now the world is watching so I think it's just going to be a point moving forward um, and the shelling continues all over right and it doesn't stop ever and uh, It's just, it's important we remember that 
each day developments happen, you know, and none of them are small developments. They're all very large things we must focus on. the outskirts of Kesa. On the northern front, the 35th CAA took Chernobyl at the Chernobyl power plant, while the 36th CAA pushed towards the capital Kyiv, bypassing Chernihiv. The Ukrainian 1st Tank Brigade managed to halt the Russian advance as it failed to capture the city of Chernihiv. The 41st CAA's advance towards Kyiv from Sumy was also halted in the outskirts of Sumy by the 56th Motorized Brigade. The Russian airborne attack on the Hostomel airport near Kyiv by the elite 31st Guards Air Assault Brigade of the Russian VDV, Elite Airborne Army, also failed after a Ukrainian counterattack. The rapid capture of Kharkiv did not happen either, as the 1st Guards Tank Army could not break the resistance of the Ukrainian 92nd Mechanized Brigade. So, a lot to unpack there, right? We can talk about morale. You know, the, the initial blow to the Ukrainian army is felt for sure, right? I think we're still feeling it. But the resistance is there. And I think that's something we have to continue to follow and stick behind. So basically, let me unpack that. They became dug in, right? The Russians had to dig in because of all sorts of different reasons. Um, I think nutrition is something that I constantly and people constantly talk about when it comes to this war. Supplies, resupplies, 
you know, men, women, equipment, you know, medicals, all that kind of comes into play when you have to decide to dig in. So that's one. Um, morale, um, and then even, like, strategic planning, like, having, this is gonna sound very cliche, but A, B, C, D, even an E, F, G, right? You kind of need to have that, or however you might go about creating that. So, we're dug in, right? And the idea of being dug in is something historically has been throughout all wars. It means different things when you see dug in, right? But when it comes to battles, it kind of has an understanding that I hope people understand to some degree. So this next part, I know I've talked about it before. HIMARS and equipment and military equipment. It is so significant and such a key aspect to keep sending Ukraine what we can. We have so much. People, we have so much. Right? And I just... It worries me that... You know, that kind of thing is such a topic for people when really we should be seeing the bigger picture when Ukraine is fighting for a lot more than just any of us can even imagine, right? Any of us. But not only that, look at the way that in which they're using our, what we're giving them. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. So this next segment's going to kind of go into the high mores and how it's kind of changed things and stuff. So, enjoy. focus on destroying Russian military infrastructure on the battlefield, namely its ammunition and weapon depots and oil depots. On July 3rd, the Ukrainians struck a depot in Melitopol. On July 4th, Russian ammunition depots in Shnizhna, Yakovlivka, Donetsk Blast, at Donetsk Railway Station, in Dubrivna, Kharkiv Blast, and near Kadivka, Lahansk Blast, exploded. On July 5th, a military warehouse in Topaz plant in Donetsk exploded. On July 6th, the Ukrainian military destroyed Russian ammunition depots near the Hesan railway station and an oil depot in Donetsk. On July 8th, an ammunition depot exploded in occupied Shakhtarsk of Donetsk Oblast, where the strike by the Ukrainian army allegedly killed several commanders but could still serve the purpose of a crucial supply line of Russian troops in Hesan. Ukraine aimed to destroy it as part of its operation to liberate Hassan. On July 20th, the Russian army continued probing the Ukrainian defenses in several directions without much success. The assault of Wagner towards Ivano-Daryivka was repelled by the 118th Territorial Defense Brigade. 
and the attack of the DPR units on Novoselivka Druha was propelled by the 114th Territorial Defense Brigade, while the 136th Guards Motor Rifle Brigade could not overpower the Ukrainian National Guard in Mikilska. Although the original plan of the Russian command Again, back and forth, Caesar, right? And it's this continuous push by the Russian and the Kremlin to try to break something, the stalemate or that line and break through the enemy line and change, right? Here's your sports for you. I've said this before, the line of scrimmage, right? Push back the line and continue to try to push towards you know, capitals and major cities, major ports, and tr still try to overrun the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian culture. But we see this, right? Like this, this morale is high, right? In terms of defending Ukraine, right? Because that's really the one main goal among, like right now, for the Ukrainians is to just defend Ukraine and win Ukraine. But people don't realize how difficult that really is. And how amazing and how much They've overcome in these six to seven months. It's phenomenal. They are amazing of what they've been able to do. Just to, you know, if you go back and listen to, you know, those parts that I added, right? From, again, go to YouTube, watch the full thing. It makes total sense. If you have questions, please shoot me DMs, send me messages, whatever. I'll love, be happy to answer them. But it's that, it's, you know, continuation of, we're not gonna let this happen. Commission von der Leyen stated the intention of the EU member states to decrease gas consumption by 15%. The instability of supply through the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline is going to cause further concern for the European leaders, as Europe braced for gas austerity to be able to withstand Russian pressure regarding gas supplies. On this day, Ukraine also struck the Antonivsky Bridge in Hessen once again, making it unusable, along with hitting a Russian border checkpoint in Bryanskoblast with Switchblade 300 loitering munitions. The strike on the Antonivsky Bridge had forced Russia to build a pontoon bridge under the Antonivsky Bridge to help protect it from airstrikes. On July 26th to 28th, clashes around Spirna, Sviatihori, Verkhnokomienska, Semihilya, Videma, Defenka, Slaviansk, and Solidar did not result in a Russian advance. At this point, the Russian army also intensified its attempts towards Avdivka, where the DPR units put heavy pressure on the 110th Territorial Defense Brigade and the 56th Motorized Brigade. The Ukrainian army also stood its ground in the Bruskinska Bilohika area in Hesanoblast.
I wouldn't be surprised if something did happen over the winter. Even though, you know, historically winter stops a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily stop combat, right? We've seen that throughout history. You know, snow, this, that kind of thing. And we've seen that before. So what are we, what's going to happen here, right? I think the fact... It's going to be difficult to move very far with a lot of equipment. Nutrition's going to be the one thing, right? That's one of the biggest things right now. And when winter comes, it's going to be even bigger. Right? And then... I don't... Somehow, right, you have to think your way through the winter, morale speaking... And I don't think there's any way of, like, there's no possible way of explaining how to do that until you do that. But we also have to, like, be ready, right? Like, be ready for something. Because I think it's too... It's too far in, right, to let our guard down now, right? We're too far in. And the stakes are too high. And I'm sure people have heard that other places. I'm sure I've said that again, time again and again. I'm sure I've said it. You know, I'm sure I've heard it time and time again on different podcasts. You know, different things you read online, so... It's being repeated for a reason here, people. Like, we're repeating that because the point is we're trying to get that point across. Now, I know this is nothing new, but I think it's important for us to remember and to put out there. Battle has continued on all fronts. South, east, the northern, eastern front, right, the southern, eastern front, even in Crimea, like, Crimea, like, it is raging on, you know, like, we can't not, you know, it's hard for me to just kind of sit here and go through life and see people go through life not realizing There's a war going on. So here's another update. So the Ukrainians said they captured, have taken dozens of Russian-occupied territories in the south, in the east, and in the northeast. Um, we've been kind of talking about that. Um, again, nothing's verified because it's war and 
hard to know, you know, everything, right? So you kind of have to take your sources and come up with your idea of what's going on. So, the Ukrainian troops took back 20 areas in the Kharkiv region and penetrated the enemy defense into 50 kilometers. Um, a, A senior official of the Ukrainian general staff said Thursday. So why is that significant? Well, he also claims advance in the, you know, the eastern part, you know, Savinesk of Don of the Donbass and Kremlin-task. Sorry, I know it's it's getting better. My Ukrainian's getting better, you know. <laughs> Each day, it's cool up because you listen to other podcasts, you know, and you listen to how they say it, and then they keep saying it, and they keep saying it, and you're like, okay, got it, and then you figure out. How- you know, that's how I say it, right? So you learn these new words because of podcasts, not because of class, right? Not because of a language class. So one of those cool, you know, public people, public education, you know, public history things about podcasts is it's becoming a part of public history. back to Eastern Europe. So, why is this significant? Well, taking back these territories, right, and because the Kremlin has said, we are going to liberate the Donbass, you know, and make it the People's Republic of Donetsk, blah, blah, blah. That's his goal. If the Ukrainian army is taking back what they lost in that region, right, you know, those people that are left still there are kind of put into this mental, physical, emotional, all these kind of binds, right? You know, it. this war in the Donbass has been going on for eight years prior, right? Crimea has been in the, you know, talk in the news forever. If you've been paying, you know, if you pay attention to, you know, the geopolitical stream, the foreign policy, um, and this and that, and I want to make this clear. I know midterms are coming up in this country, and things are going to be focused domestically. But the Ukrainian army, in the, you know, they are making this surge, right, that put the Russian and the Kremlin into a bind. They either have to stay in the east or stay in the south. They might think they can do both. They can't do both. You can't do both. That's what we say is extending. You are stretching out your resources and your supplies like a rubber band. And what happens to that rubber band if you continue to stretch it out, bring it back, stretch it out, bring it back, stretch it out, bring it back, stretch it out. It breaks, right? You can't really do that. You know, we've seen it in the past of people trying to take on too many fronts. You know, whether it was because, you know, a last-ditch effort, all else fails, whatever the case is, we've seen it. I don't think that's this. You know, I don't think the Kremlin's military strategy is up to par, up to date. 
because I don't think they don't realize how significant guerrilla warfare is to this this conflict. You know, to really any conflict, really. You know, you think about the American Revolution. How did the American Revolution beat the British? Guerrilla warfare, right? So you know, it's one of those things you just kind of have to continue to look at and see as it develops. Things are moving this week, right? I've I've realized that we're approaching 200 days. I believe on Sunday. Of this war, and things are happening. You know whether this is a planned counteroffensive, a planned surge, or just a seizing the opportunity. You know we we need to follow it. So there has been confirmation. About those pushes in the eastern front, and I think it's important. You know, we don't get too far ahead of ourselves because there's a lot of good videos on YouTube, a lot of good podcasts that talk about you know kind of what's next and what's going on right now. Ten out of ten, recommend all of them. But basically, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. In terms of insurgency and through the enemy's line, right? Because that will leave you vulnerable for one ambush, and two to be circled off and enclosed from the back, right? So there's just the kind of few things you have to really kind of take into consideration: moving troops, moving equipment, moving people, moving food, whatever, right? You kind of have to remember, like. Don't get too far ahead of yourself, and I think that that winter season, that muggy season, that gross swampy seasons ahead of us, that's going to be playing a big factor in something this, and we don't even know it yet. We don't know how it's going to be a factor, but it's a factor. It's already a factor because it's in everybody's mind. The winter coming up, right? Historically, we know. The Russian winters don't favor anybody. They are deadly to everybody, right? So it's again, you know, we have to follow this development. You know, um, I should give my condolences to the Queen and the Queen's family. You know, we found out today that she passed away. Today's the eighth, I believe. You know, so my condolences go to her family and the royal crown, people. But remember, like, like we, like, don't be vulnerable, right? And that's what the winter, you know, going back to the winters in Eastern Europe and Russia. The, you know, Ukraine knows that, right? I'm sure the Russians know it too. So that might be in part of what they're trying to achieve still now, right now. What's going on? That could be.、Um, I don't know how likely, right? You know, I, I, I think where by December, wherever we are, 
that is going to be where we are for whoever knows how. I could be wrong. It could be fighting all winter, right? You know, in Korea, they literally had men frozen, right? So, so we'll see, you know, and I don't... Because you think about this war, right? The war is being fought on whose land? The Ukrainians. So, coming winter, sure, everything's destroyed and this and that, but who's away from home? Right? And who's not, you know, so... You can't be able to, you know... We, I, you just gotta keep, like... This winter is gonna be so critical to the ongoing war. Just a little bit of news for you to kind of sum up this podcast and end on a note. We talked about that counteroffensive, right? The Ukrainian counteroffensive. So Russian-held media, right? You know, I listen to podcasts. I kind of do that thing. I, I look into a lot of different sources. This is my conclusion. One problem is the reserves, right? We've seen that. A lot of military analysts have said reserves, right? And we've seen there's been an issue for them to get people to fight. And now they're stranded, you know? It's very interesting the next few weeks. It's going to be very interesting, so we'll see. So I'm going to try to wrap things up. Um, this has been a great episode, I think, personally. But it's because, you know, I, I am who I am. So, a few things to keep in mind. The war, right? Every day, everyone should be following it every single day. Even if it's the very minimum, just to see, hey, Zelensky's still alive, that's great. You know, whatever it may be, you know, you don't have to be as invested as someone like me. You just have to know what's going on and appreciate and understand what the Ukrainian people are going through. We will never understand what they're going through, right? We just won't. But if we can be there and say, I'm here for you and I'm supporting you, that will go a long way. You know, I've realized listening and following and you know, you, nobody knows what the Ukrainian people are going through besides the Ukrainian people. And my duty, right, I feel as though my duty is to be there, right? Be a supported, supportive foundation of a new life that they were not expecting. Right? Pick up everything on it. You know, that's, you know, that's sort of what this country should be made of. Like, welcoming. Because if you look at this country, and you look at the amount of different people in this country, it's amazing. It's freaking amazing. You know, you put the politics, you put the border crisis, you put all that bullshit aside, and you look at this country is made up of people. People. 
not dictators, not Kremlins, not these few that say things that everyone else is poor people. Right? I'm not talking about our government. I'm talking about our country. Our country and our government are two different things. Right? And I think people understand that to an extent. But when it comes to Europe or Asia, you know, people still don't realize that government and state two different things. Oh, government and country, right? In terms of Ukraine, it's this country. And this rapid development since the 90s. And here we are today, right? 1991, I got that independence. You had the Orange Revolution. You had the Euro Mandarin, right? You had the, the start of the war in the Donbass, right? Eight years ago. You have, like, the people... The Ukrainian people are the ones leading this charge, and I just think it's amazing, and it's honorable, and I know, you know, it might not seem that way, and, you know, me saying that might, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, it's just, we as Americans need to be there for the Ukrainians, and we can learn a lot from them, a lot, a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode, I'm gonna have a lot more of these coming, right, I hope, got a little bit more time, you know, I'm I moved, I'm a little bit more settled in, um, so hopefully, you know, as, you know, my classes go on, I'll create more episodes, you know, that's kind of how the last Vietnam episode was created, it was because of a topic we talked about in my Vietnam class, you know, and this episode's kind of, you know, an expansion of what, you know, has grown into this passion for me, you know? Ukraine has become a passion for me. And, you know, when, when I have tough days, right? Or when you have tough days, you look up, you see the sky, you don't see any rockets, you don't have anyone shooting at you. It's a good day. And my duty for that good day and for the rest, you know, is to support the Ukrainian people. Support, support, support. That's all you can do. Right? So, like I say all the time, peace and love. Thanks for listening. And, um, I'm so blessed to have you guys a part of this ride with me. Peace and love. Thank you.